first reading comes from the book of Ruth, chapter 3, verses 1 to 18, which can be found on page 414 of the Church Bibles. One day, Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you, where you will be well provided for? Is not Boaz, with whose servant girls you have been, a kinsman of ours? Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash and perfume yourself. Put on your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man, and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am near of kin, there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to redeem, good, let him redeem. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognised, and he said, Don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, Bring me the shawl you were wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and put it on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. This is the word of the Lord.
I'd like to think this morning about this next part of the story of Ruth that we've been looking at together over the last few weeks. And I want to notice this morning how Naomi's attitude has really started to change. If you were with us earlier on when life got really tough for Naomi, really tough with uh, family, several close family bereavements uh, and ending up feeling isolated in a foreign country. Um, at that point, she wanted to change her name to mean bitter because she thought that God was in control, but she felt hopeless and powerless and just there was a sort of fatalism around that sense of God's control. Well, well, look at what God has done to me, she says. But by this point in the story, she still believes that God is in control, but now she's inspired to act on it. And that's what I want to think about this morning, is how we can trust that God is in control. God is sovereign over the whole of his creation. But that doesn't lead us to passivity, just letting God get on with it. That actually, it's when we really trust that God's in control, that God's got this, that we can be brave and step out in faith because we know he has it. That's what I want to share with you uh, this morning. And that's what I think we'll see from this uh, quite strange on the surface passage of Ruth chapter 3. I want to start with a little illustration, and it's one you've probably heard before, uh, about how important it is to see that God's control doesn't mean that we do nothing. Have you heard the story of uh, the Christian who gets capsized while out in a little boat in the sea? And they're on their own and they're praying. God, rescue me. God, rescue me. And another boat pulls up alongside, says, friend, would you like to, me to lift you out of the water? And they say, no, no, I'm a Christian. God's going to rescue me. And the person in the boat looks at them a bit strange and decides to sail on. And then the lifeguard come, send out a big dinghy from, uh, from the harbour, goes to grab the person out of the water, but they refuse. No, no. You spend your resources somewhere else. I'm a Christian. I believe that God is going to rescue me. Eventually a helicopter comes along and someone is lowered on a winch down to the water with a harness to fix themselves to the person in the water. And they say, friend, let me take you to safety. And they no, no, I'm a Christian. God's going to rescue me. The helicopter leaves. The Christian drowns. They go to heaven by the grace of God and said, Lord, what happened? I had faith. I prayed. And God says, well, I sent a boat and a lifeguard and a helicopter. I don't know what else I could do. It's a silly little story. But I think it does highlight in extreme that sense sometimes that having faith can actually put us off doing things. But actually, as we're going to see, it's in trusting God that we're inspired to act, to live faithfully, to step out, actually, and to be bold because we know that God has it under control. So how do we get that balance right? How do we live in a way which both acknowledges that we trust God to work all things for good, and how do we play our part? How do we believe that the things that we do can make a difference? Do we have to choose between let go and let God? which I understand, but as an extreme could mean, I'll do nothing, and if God wants it, then it will just happen. Let go and let God. 
Or God helps those who help themselves. We'll just get on with it and not worry what God is doing. By the way, that's often the most misattributed non-Bible verse. God helps those who help themselves. Nowhere near the Bible. In fact, it's pretty much the opposite of the gospel, isn't it? Because God saves those who can't save themselves. We don't have to choose between I'll leave it to God and God leave it to me. A really good understanding of the way the Bible presents the faithful life is to see that God is in control and does work all things for the good of those who love him. And at the same time, we are called to seek to live faithfully, actively, and boldly for the Lord. So let's, let's start by seeing that in this passage in Ruth chapter 3 and think, well, what's really going on here in this slightly strange overnight scene? If you've got it there uh, in front of you, uh, you can read it, but I'll read it for you, just the first few verses. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now, Boaz, with whose women you've worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Naomi can see what God has been doing. Over the last few weeks, we've heard how Ruth just so happened to end up at Boaz's field. That Boaz arrives at just the right moment to ask, whose young lady is this? And things start to move forward from there. And Naomi can see that this is happening. She can see that God is clearly at work behind the scenes. And so she acts on it. She doesn't just sit back, do nothing and say, well, if this is God's plan, then I don't need to do anything at all. That's not what she does. She sees God as at work and she joins in. And she does it by encouraging Ruth, certainly, to go and appear attractive to Boaz. She can see that they like each other. She can see that they've been getting on well. And this might be the way that God has planned to redeem their family. For Ruth to marry back into uh, their family through their cousin, uh, Naomi's cousin, Boaz. It's not a, the story is not a euphemism or a seduction scene. Both are still honourable, a bit like perhaps the same kind of attitude that Joseph has in wanting to protect Mary's honour when Boaz says to Ruth to leave without anybody seeing her. But Naomi can see that there is a possibility here, but she needs to do something about it. Now, we're not told why. Maybe it's just because Boaz is a bit of a typical bloke and can't quite see what's going on. Or maybe she just has that inspiration that now is the moment for Ruth to invite Boaz to make that decision. And so she uncovers his feet while he's, he's sleeping there, perhaps just to make him get a bit cold and wake up. And it works. In the middle of the night, he wakes up and he says, who's there? And it's Ruth. And so she is making that invitation to him to make uh, the next move. Interestingly, by this point in the story, Ruth is speaking with Boaz in much closer uh, ways. Earlier on, she was very, very deferential and talked about herself as a foreigner, but now she just describes herself as Ruth, your servant. 
She knows him. They, she, he knows her. They've, they've started to get to know each other. And what she does, actually, is invite him to be the answer to his own prayer. Back in the previous chapter, when we saw Boaz's initial kindness to Ruth, he said these words to her. You can look it up if you've got it open. It's Ruth 2, verse 12. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. (coughs) Perhaps Ruth had that in mind when she invited Boaz to quite literally cover her and take her under his refuge. Boaz, will you see what God is doing and act on it? Naomi has seen what God is doing and she acts on it. Boaz, will you see what God has planned and will you act on it? And so he makes that wonderful promise. It's there in verse uh, 13. (coughs) Excuse me. Stay here for the night. This is Boaz talking to Ruth. And in the morning, if he, that is the closer relative wants to do his duty as your kinsman redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. I don't think Boaz means that, by the way. (laughs) But if he is not willing, Boaz with his fingers sort of crossed behind his back or whatever, if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Naomi had seen what God was doing in bringing them together. That There were no coincidences here, but this was part of God's plan and she acted on it. And now Boaz, at the invitation of Ruth, can see that God has put them in this place in order to do something really remarkable. For Boaz to be able to be the answer to the very prayer that he's prayed. For Ruth and Naomi to find that refuge, to come back, be redeemed, brought back into the family of God, and to have that hope and that future secured. Naomi sees God at work and she acts Ruth sees God at work and she acts. Boaz sees God at work and he acts. And in a minute, I want to move on to my sort of main application for us from that about what that looks like in life to trust in God's control so strongly that it inspires us to act godly. But I do just want to pause for a moment and just make two other quick points that came to my mind just while I was sort of praying and thinking through this story. We've reached that sort of point in Ruth where things are really starting to turn around. And God's plan to redeem and to rescue Naomi and Ruth is really starting to pick up steam. We can see how things have moved from those early days when Naomi felt so helpless to now seeing how God's plan is coming together. But I'm aware that for some, many, perhaps all of us, there are times in life when we can't see how God's plan is coming together. It doesn't feel like there's a happy ever after just looming over the next horizon. That actually we might feel closer in the story, as it were, to Naomi at the beginning than to Naomi here. What I want to say to us today Trust in our Redeemer. The promise of God is not an easy and comfortable life. 
It's not a life where all our wishes come true. Jesus is not some sort of deity Father Christmas who gives us good things when we've been good children. He's so infinitely more than that. I just want to recognize that sometimes we're in the moment where life doesn't feel as easy, where it doesn't feel like things are turning around, and yet we can trust Jesus even more than Ruth could trust Boaz because he's already done it. It's already done. The deal is, is complete. The price has been paid. We sometimes as Christians sort of say, well, when, when did you become Christian? When were you saved? And maybe tell our story. But the real truth is that if we were a Christian, then we were saved about 2,000 years ago. Yes, sometimes in life we're walking through the dark valleys, but it doesn't mean the shepherd has left you. And there's always the promise in Jesus that in him there actually is a happy ever after. It won't be in this life, but it will be in one that is so much better. And the second thing I want to mention just really briefly is that I know sometimes, perhaps it feels like more than sometimes, church can feel like a place which is best set up for couples. I don't think it's deliberate. But I remember once, um, not on this passage, but just speaking on another passage and I... um, throwaway line I mentioned once I wasn't really thinking much of it but I just said something like of course God loves single people just as much as married people and the lady uh, who was there who's died now actually uh, came up to me at the end with tears in her eyes and she said I've been a Christian for 40 years never been married and no one's ever told me that it's okay and um Sorry, she died this year, so it's kind of stuck with me a little bit. And I hadn't really thought anything of it at the time, and I hadn't really built it into my talk. And I know that it's still off in the way, but I feel like preaching on this passage, sometimes you can come away thinking, well, where's my Boaz? Where's my Ruth? Or I had my Boaz, or I had my Ruth. And I think God wants to say to us that our marital status does not define how much he loves us or how much he can use us, or how great his plans and his purposes are for us. But actually, Paul himself said he wishes others were single like he is. And I know that can seem like a bit of a trite answer, but the reality is, again, in glory, there won't be marriage or given in marriage. It's a picture now for some, a picture of God's faithfulness for some. But it is not for all. And if you haven't found it, someone at the moment or you don't have someone at the moment like that then I just want to say to you that God loves you just as much as everybody else that he has a plan for you just as much as everybody else that his grace grace is as sufficient for you as everybody else and if you have any ideas for how we as churches could be do a better job of making sure that everyone feels just as valued and welcomed and included then please come and let me know the point of this story is not that we'll find our happy ever after by God bringing us our Boaz or our Ruth. That's not the point of this story. The point of this story is that God brought Boaz and Ruth together 
so that through their descendants, Jesus would come into the world and offer his salvation and eternal love to everybody. That's the point of this story. But there is a secondary thing which I want to finish on, which is how do we trust God so much that he's in control that it inspires us to keep living faithfully and wisely and well? Well, I think the answer is to avoid that fatalism that had earlier plagued Naomi's heart. To see that, yes, God is in control, but we also have a part to play. I worry sometimes if we focus so much on God's control that we'd never leave the house. God, I can't go out to work or to see my family because you haven't given me a word of knowledge as to whether I should have Frosties or Shreddies this morning. (laughs) I'm using an extreme example to make a point. But likewise, life is not lived faithfully when we just go off and do our own thing either. Make it up as we go along. Actually, what I think we see when the Bible presents faithful living is people who totally trust that God is in control. And that that gives this extraordinary liberty, actually, to live wisely and faithfully in the way that the Bible calls us to. Because we know that God has got our backs. That we can't go so far off track that he can't bring us back. We can't make so many wrong decisions that he can't somehow weave that back into his plans. He's bigger than all of that. We can live by faith and wisdom. We can trust in God and we can make choices and live in a way that pleases and honors him. And even when we get it wrong, and we will sometimes, his grace is sufficient to bring us back. How do we live? By faith and wisdom, my question for today, trusting in God and making wise choices. Well, trust everything to God in prayer and know his word. Trusting God in prayer shows that we believe that God is in control. There's no point praying if you don't think God can do anything about it. And we trust his word to give us that guidance and that story into which we can find our story. But I'm really aware that finishing on this is basically how pretty much every sermon ever finishes. What do I take away from it? Read the Bible more and pray more. Great. Now I just feel guilty. So I want to dig down a little bit more for one more minute. What did this specifically look like for Naomi and Ruth and Boaz? They saw that God was at work. They could see that somehow behind the scenes, God was acting to do something to fulfill his purposes. They had eyes to see it. Even Naomi, who had been so bitter so early. It wasn't in the ways that probably any of them had expected. So are we looking for where God is at work? Are there perhaps people that we know who've shown something of an interest in our faith that we might be able to say something of Jesus to? Are we ready to be surprised by what God is doing? And it won't always be dramatic. In fact, probably most of the time it won't be dramatic. But specific prayers for the vision to see, the eyes of faith to notice what God is doing in our life and the lives of the people around us so that we can then get involved, act, play our part, trust that God has it and has a place for us, a part for us to play, a way to get involved and not to worry 
but to step out because he's in control. Living by faith and wisdom, looking for God at work, and seeking godly ways to act. Naomi, Boaz, Ruth, they saw it, they acted on it, and we're going to see how God pulled the whole thing together. But that same God is in control of our lives. And if we can see it and trust him and act on it, then he has a part for each one of us to play. So let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for including Naomi in the account of your dealing with your people and your world through the passage of time. That This is one of the um, stories that we have of what you did and how you were at work. And I thank you for that because Naomi's story is, it just feels so real and so relatable. Lord, those times where we can't see what you're doing. We want to believe, Lord, but we, we find it so hard based on our current circumstances. And yet thank you that your word goes on to show how by your grace and under your sovereignty, the plan moves forward. And Naomi is able to reach that place where she can see that you're at work and so she wants to join in. She wants to see your purposes, your plans come to fruition. Father, I thank you for that. And I pray that wherever we are in our own stories, whatever it is that's going on in our lives or the things that occupy our thoughts and our hearts, you'd help us to trust that you are God who has this under control, that you do work all things for the good of those who love you, even when we can't see how you're doing it. Lord, give us the eyes of faith to see how you are at work, those little opportunities for conversation, those gifts of kindness, the ways that we can share your love. Lord, show us where you are already at work so that we can be inspired to step up and play our part for your glory, for the coming of your kingdom, and for the good of this world that you've made. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.